What's going on, everybody? This is your host, BJ Parker, and this is the Making the Turn podcast. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the podcast, another episode of Making the Turn. I'm your host, BJ Parker, and um, I appreciate you joining us. And uh, we're at the lovely uh, Golf House, Tennessee. It's a beautiful room. And I'm here with the executive director of the Tennessee Golf Association, right? Chad yes, Anderson. How you doing, my man? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you doing this, man. Thanks for uh, opening this place up. This is this is beautiful. You have to, we'll have to talk about some of the stuff in here, but uh, thanks for uh, sitting down and doing this and... Um, and you're going to be a fun one to chat with, so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, uh, looking forward to it as well. It's my first one. So. First podcast? First, or, first yeah. podcast. So um, we talked a little bit before, but t- um, tell me, uh, have you heard my podcast at all? Have you heard any of the ones? Yeah, I checked out uh, last week uh, after you called and asked me to do this. Yeah. Uh, I Googled it and, and found it and had Sweet. to go find the podcast app on my phone, <laughs> you know, and, and look it up and, and heard, uh, heard you talking there with uh, Sweden's Cove. Yeah, uh, while I was driving out to the state open. Yeah, Brent was a. They're getting a lot of buzz down there. Yeah, lots of buzz. And it really just kind of worked out. I wanted to have him on the podcast, and and um, he, I reached out to him, and he did it. He was great, and that's it's gotten a lot of. But they're they're hot ticket right now. Yeah, I seen y'all going back and forth about some match play stuff, and they're wanting to get you down there. How's is that? That's uh, that'd be a lot of fun. Yeah, be a lot of fun to go down there and play. Have you played it? I've played it. Uh, played, I guess, a time and a half. Uh, yeah. uh, snuck in six holes down there on my way down to Augusta for the uh, Augusta National Women's Amateur. So yeah. I'm gonna drive down. I snuck in, uh, went over there, and uh, was able to get about six holes in before I had to hit the road to, to yeah. get to uh, Champions Retreat on time. But uh, actually played with uh, Zach Radford. Yeah. Who does all the trick shots, and sure. uh, he was happy to be in the parking lot. So we paired up and played a few holes, and yeah, had a good time. He was on the podcast. I had him. In the early stages of the podcast, I reached out to him. Great guy. Yeah. Had fun talking with him. We we probably recorded for an hour and a half, maybe not maybe not that long. And uh, but we probably talked for about three hours, just yeah. getting to know each other. And and uh, he's he's got a lot going. He's, yeah, he's got. Um, it's good to see him make the cut in the state open and all that good stuff. So yeah, and he actually we uh, Darren Reese, our our communications guy, he went out with them. Uh, Few days before the state open, our practice round, and yeah. you know, watched them hit a few shots and kind of did a little video and put that on Facebook and everything. So yeah, he, he's he's awesome to work with and uh, fun to be around. Yeah, well, you'll have to go check that podcast out. It was fun. It was good. Yeah. We talked a lot of a lot of good stuff, especially about his influence on social media, which I don't even know how many. He's got a lot of followers and he's doing some big things out there. Yeah, so. I think some point last year it's like forty two thousand on Instagram or something like that. I mean, yeah, it's, it's it's amazing. I think he was at close to seventy when we talked. Yeah, so it's Gross he's past. good. Well, you're probably wondering why I got you on here. I mean, you've heard some of the podcasts, and I'm come from the turf side, and um, so you're probably your your number one question is probably why am I asking you to be on here. <laughs> well, we'll find out here soon. Right? I know. Well, it's not to put you on the spot. It is uh, the purpose of this podcast is to kind of give light to our industry. Uh, I started it. Uh, this is um, in the neighborhood of the mid-teens episode, depending on when it comes out. Out, and um, but it's been going since uh, late January, 
And a lot of the guys I've talked to have been superintendents, uh, business people in our industry, the turf side of things. But I wanted to get your perspective, uh, talk golf with you. Uh, I'm sure we're going to talk a lot about what you got going on. And But you guys are influential in our side of the business and have a, a you know, whether you're hosting tournaments or looking for sites or what you're looking for and, and how you work well with us, I think it all kind of flows together. So just yep. really interested in sitting down and chatting with you about all things golf, but sort of what you have and thoughts about our side of the industry. So I thought it was, yep. why not go to the man at the top of the list? <laughs> man, I th- I, you know, when I think about the superintendents, I look at you guys kind of as like head football coaches. Yep. You know, you're the unsung heroes when things go well. You don't get any of the credit. Yep. But then if there's a bad winter or it's rained too much, it's you're all to blame for uh, for the turf not being the way everybody wants it to be. You yep. know, so I think you guys don't get enough credit and you get too much blame, but uh, that just kind of seems to be part of the gig. Yeah, it's the nature of the beast. I always say that, that um, we don't get any press unless it's bad press Yeah, most of the time. I mean, that's not necessarily true, but, I mean – it, it, a lot of times that's all you hear, you know, and that's unfortunate because I feel like superintendents are jack of all trades. They, they really, they really hone in what the the main asset main asset of a club is on a daily basis for the members, the play, the public, their guests. You know, whether it's a tournament or whatever, and those are the guys that, you know, really knuckle down and and have to get it done. And there's a lot of unique challenges that goes on with that. Yeah, and you know, obviously I don't know what those challenges are, but. You know, we were at Greystone last week for the state open, yeah. and uh, you know the golf course was in great shape. And you know, some of you guys are miracle workers. You know what Brent Heath does out there with a crew of four. You know, he never seems to amaze me. That yeah. guy, he's I've known Brent a long time. He does a great job. Yeah, tees, yeah. fairways, greens, they were all perfect. Yeah. And, you know, some of the rough air was rough, but uh, you know it's supposed to be. And uh, they had the fescue up and. Yeah. and many of the places that were nice two three foot tall and provide a great definition and and a little bit of a challenge so yeah. it was uh it was it was great yeah now now i've i've been on the superintendent side of things for over 20 years so i kind of know how a lot of that works i've hosted tournaments and worked with you but for people that are listening or haven't or guys that are I mean, primarily my audience i would assume is a lot of turf guys but you know, they may be looking at a tournament coming up. Do you how do, how much do you work with the maintenance side, or do you work with the club in general and just kind of bring the superintendent in? What what sort of role do you have, or you you the guys you have working for you uh, work with the courses that you come to host their competition? Well, obviously the uh, the PGA professional is usually the first contact at the club yeah. uh, when we're when we are uh, you know setting things up and talking about uh, what the championship's going to look like and. Starting times, food and beverage, all that kind of good stuff. But uh, I know Allison Brown, who's uh, our uh, director of competitions, you yeah. know, I think her first deal is when she gets on site, she likes to go find the superintendent because she knows if she can get him on her side, then it's going to be a good week. Right. You never, you never right. want to be, you know, never want to have a fight with the superintendent during a championship week. Yeah. So um, I've heard many stories where she shows up with coffee and donuts at, you know, 530 in the morning, uh, comes down to the shop and, just check to see how things are going. You yep. never know what can happen overnight. Tree falls down, you know, uh, it rains, and all of a sudden bunkers washed out. You just you never know what's going to happen. So she always comes and checks first thing to sure. see how the night went and uh, and if there's any kind of changes that we need to make on our end that makes it easier for you guys right. um, as you're doing setup. And so, uh, you know, like I said, you guys, 
you guys provide us great playing conditions. Um, we don't come in with any kind of special requests of, hey, can we can we grow the rough up to four inches right. or can we narrow the fairways? We know we're only here for you know three or four days for our championship, yeah. so you know we don't we don't have any mandates. Uh, we're just uh, excited and, and thankful that uh, that the club is hosting the event, and so yeah. we try to come in and be as low key as we can, you know, beforehand. Um, I know there's some clubs that go out there and they do a couple, you know, extra things as we're getting prepared for it, right? Uh, which we appreciate, obviously, but uh, we try to just kind of show up for our few days and, and be gone and have the have the course back to the members uh, after we go. Yeah. One of, um, I think that's great. I mean, typically that's my, been my experience. The, the, the clubs always the, – or the, you guys have always said, we just want it however you keep it for your members. And, you know, obviously some green speeds get discussed. I mean, there's pace of play issues and a lot of things that go on with that. And if there's rough and what type of roughs and how high, you know, no. you got all those factors you got to deal with. But one of the things that – is a specific example that I had. We hosted the state open back in when I was at Brentwood and I think it was maybe 2010. The flood year. Yeah. Yeah. And we had, it's a par 71 and, but we had a real number three is a real short par five. And so we kicked around the idea of turning that hole into a par four and making it a par 70. And that changed the, the whole dynamics of that tournament and, and uh, sort of how the feel of the, you know, it, it's it's a mental game. It's just a number on a piece of paper. Right. Set, but changing it to a par 70 was kind of an idea that we all kind of just came up with and said, yeah, let's do it. And that wasn't standard for normal member play. It was always a par, you know, 71. Right. So that was one thing we did. So it was kind of cool. Yeah, and that, uh, you know, par is just a number. Yeah. Um, I've got a great example of that uh, going back to Greystone again when we had the PGA Tour qualifying school there. Yeah. This was probably 15 years ago or so. And, uh, you know, it's par 72. It's a four-round event. Well, round two, round three is just absolutely downpour. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they've got Zoysia Fairways, which can hold water a little bit. And so sure. hole number five there is a short par four. You know, these guys trying to get on tour, they're just hitting the iron off the tee. Well, the tour official that was on site, Diller Pruitt, um, he's like, the last thing I want is for one of these guys who's trying to make it on the PGA Tour to lose a ball in the fairway because it just plugs and you can't sure. find it. And so I think it was round three. He's like, let's move the tees up to the top of the hill. So instead of, you know, 350, whatever it might have been from the back, now we're at 85 yards for the tee markers. And so you've got, you know, you put them at the top of the fairway, you got the little gully yeah. right before the green. And so I was starting that day. So players come up, hey, guys, just let you know, due to all the rain, uh, we don't want you to have a lost ball because it plugged in the fairway on five. So we actually moved the tee markers up to the top of the hill at about 85 yards. So every player's response was, oh, so it's a par three? It's still a par four on your scorecard yeah. because we're not going to change par during the middle of a four-round championship or four-round qualifying event. Right. Well, you can't have an 85-yard par four. <laughs> like sure you can who says knock it on the green and make a putt for eagle I, mean, yeah. I was like and I tried to tell him I was like you know par doesn't matter Yeah, you better shoot 66 every round out here if you want to move on to the next stage it right. doesn't matter if par is 100 or par is 50 you better shoot 66 every round Yeah. so it was, it was amazing how many guys that just kind of blew their mind that the team markers were at 85 yards and it was still par 4 so yeah. 
So, yeah, so obviously par is just a number. Um, you know, you just got to beat the rest of the field. It doesn't yeah. matter doesn't matter what par is. But, uh, you know, something else that also helps with that um, by moving the tee up on a short par five that's reachable for everybody mm-hmm. is it helps with the pace of play. Because if not, you get backed up because everybody's waiting to go for it. Right. You know, obviously you spend more time on the green than you do hitting a tee ball in a second shot. So then it starts getting backed up and log jammed. Yeah. Um, and so – <clears throat> By moving that tee up there, it probably helped with the flow too. Sure. First few holes. How do, how do you um, how do you go about thinking about setup when you go to a course? Um, do you take into account some of the thoughts that the superintendent or the pro might have, or do you have an idea? Because I know you have to think about pace of play, especially if there's a cut situation. Maybe the first two days or or more players than you'll have. And so you can do some things like drivable par fours, reachable par fives, create a situation where you can create some drama, so right. to speak. Um, and we see this on a grander scale on the PGA Tour and the bigger uh, you know, the bigger tournaments. But how do you go about thinking about that as you're going into a competition? Well, to, to, get, to get you a good answer, you ought to be talking to Allison. Yeah. She, is, she is great at what she does. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she does a setup, and, and she's the head official for the NCAA Women's Championship. Um, and so we're very blessed to have her running our championships and, you know, from the guys that have been here for a long time, um, playing like a Tim Jackson, you know, I'll get comments after a, a championship, man, we are, we've got it better than we've ever had it before. Right. You know, she knows what she's doing. Um, but to give you a couple of examples, like a Greystone, you know, this was all her idea, this sure. is, you know, so I'm, I'll take no credit for that. Um, a Greystone last week stayed open. You know, first two rounds, we've got 144 players. We want to make sure that we can get everybody through, that way we can have the cut. And so um, it was set up a little easier than it would be for the final round, you know. Yeah. Then we get to the we get to the final round, and we move the tee back on six, which is a par three. Uh, we move the tee back on 11, which is a par three. Mm-hmm. Um, and so at, at, at that point is when you can start, you know, jockeying around a little bit and making it play a little tougher on, right. on those um, or – or move a tee box up to where it's drivable because, again, that's another kind of a pace of play flow issue. Right. You know, if you take a par four and you make it a par three, basically, well, now you've got, you know, you got to wait for the green to clear before you can tee off so it can get backed up. So yep. those things that uh, we like to do, we will save that for when we got a, a smaller field out there. That way we can still get them moving. Yeah. And do y'all look at like the whole location specifically is uh, in that in that sense too like easier hole locations hard location hard hole locations um, you know I'm sure Allison goes into a lot of that as well but is that yeah. is that similar in- yeah it's similar like uh, like number six at Greystone you know when you move that one all the way back on the back tee it's playing you know two twenty sure. two thirty so she went with a, a back hole location. Yeah. That way, you know, you can land on the front of the green and, and it's going to roll out a little bit. That way you, you still have a chance to get it uh, yeah. close if you hit a good shot, you know. It would be kind of brutal to go up front on that one and, you know, you roll out and now you got a long putt from the back of the green, yeah. you know. And so she'll, she'll move the tees around with the hole locations. That way, um, you know, if you hit a good shot, you're you're yeah. rewarded. And if you hit a bad shot, then you might have a uh, a tough up and down to, yeah. uh, to stay par. So she takes all that into consideration. Sure. I know in my experience they um, typically did all the hole locations prior to the first round. Is that still kind of norm? That's probably the norm. Yeah. Um, a lot of times, um, you know, depending on the championship, um, you know, we'll try to knock them out beforehand. Yeah. 
sometimes we'll wait and do them day by day. Um, depending on depending weather. On, or well, depending on the weather, depending on the field size. Sure. You know, if you got 144 players, you know, there's no time for us to go out in the afternoon and select whole locations for the next day because yeah. the play's still out there. Yeah. But uh, if you got a smaller field or if, you know, it's after the cut or something like that, and you got a morning morning wave or a single tee, and you can go out there and select, and it gives you a chance to kind of see how the holes have played. You know, we can get scoring averages from every hole, you yeah. know, after each round based off of what the players uh, shot. And so kind of will give some feedback on, all right, that one's already playing hard. We don't, you know, we had the idea of moving it back or doing something different with it. Let's let's not toy with that. You yeah. Know? So we'll take some of that feedback into consideration while we while we do that. Well, how, how has technology helped you guys? I mean, it's gone come a long way in the last ten or fifteen years. How, how are you utilizing technology in in terms of scoring, tracking? I know it was a whole lot easier for me this year to kind of keep up with just checking in on the scoreboard. Uh, that's pretty. It seemed like it was updated pretty regularly. I mean, so that's kind of cool. So, what are some of the new things that are going on from that side of, for you guys? Yeah. So, one of the new things that we have is. Uh, uh, the USGA provides us with a tournament software called Golf Genius. Yeah. And so um, we started using them last year to run our championships, but we didn't use it for registration. Mm-hmm. Uh, this year we're 100% in. Uh, so when people go to sign up for a championship or a qualifier, they create a profile, um, and then uh, they actually register through the program. And so it's, it's all-encompassing. But uh, the best part of it is the ability to do live scoring. And so – you can download the app on your phone, uh, Golf Genius app, and then you can punch in scores as you play for your group. You can also check the leaderboard of everybody else's playing. So, you know, if you're a if you're a guy or a girl that's out there playing, you wanna you like to know how you stand. Yeah. You know, just hit the little button there, it says leaderboard, and you can see exactly where you're at. You know, it comes in handy, especially if there's a cut and, and sure. you know, hey, I need to make some birdies or gotta save a few pars here to, to make sure I, <clears throat> I make the cut. Yeah. And then also with that, you know, I'll get a text every first round of every tournament. Hey, when's the last scoring going on? You know, <laughs> there's there's guys out there that they're sitting in their office. If they're not playing. They want to see how their buddies are doing, yeah. you know, like yourself, you know, checking scores last week. You yeah. want to see how they're doing. So um, we try to get scores, depending on how many volunteers we have, we'll try to get scores at the turn for, for every round. If we have more uh, volunteers, we'll try to get them like after five and after 13. Yeah. Um, and then a lot of players are now starting to get used to the live scoring. So they're starting to entering, enter them on their own. So you can kind of see when you, when you go to check the, the leaderboard, if there's an update through hole three or through hole seven or something, you, you know, that, that group, that there's a player in that group who's doing that. Yeah. And so we don't, uh, we don't mandate it because, you know, there's people out there, they don't want to mess with their phones while they're out there playing, which right. is, you know, understandable. But uh, a lot of people now are, you know, they're tweeting during the middle of the round. You know, they're, they're doing a little bit of everything. So, uh, so if they don't mind to be on their phone and they want to yeah. help us out by doing that, that's great. And, you know, the, the best thing about it is, too, is if you download that app, I mean, you can, you can see our full schedule on there. You know, there's what you call a GGID. So if you type in TN Golf in that GGID, up comes our full schedule. So sure. you can go through and, and look at uh, pairings and, uh, results from all the events this year so it's uh it's been a nice addition on technology and uh you know just trying to keep the website you know up to date because technology changes so fast now right that uh, you know you might put something out there then you know next year it's already outdated and you've got to change and keep up with what's yeah. new so that part's been great and you know technology on as far as like running a golf tournament goes um i don't know if there's 
a ton out there. You know, paint guns and paint hasn't changed for yeah. marking a golf course. <laughs> um, I know Allison uses a, a brake master. So um, I had never seen one before she before she had it. But right. uh, when she selected hole locations, you know, sh- she'll put this thing down. It's basically a, like a level. Right. But it'll give you what how many degrees of break is there. Okay. And so, you know, if we're on a course, you know, if she goes to the superintendent and they say, hey, they're rolling a 10, she knows, okay, I can I can go with a little bit more break around the hole. Right. You know, I might get up to a 2.5% break or something like that. Yeah. But if we go somewhere and they're rolling 13, all right, let's keep it around one. <laughs> you know, <laughs> let's, not, let's not get them where yeah. they're, you know, get to the hole and then dying off and yeah. rolling out four feet. And so she'll use that, and so um, she'll select a, a location that she thinks is good, and she'll kick that thing around, you know, in a circle and basically check the slope around it. And, you know, a lot of times the eyeball test works pretty good. But, yeah. uh, you know, you, you you put your paint can down and think, oh, this looks good. All of a sudden, whoa, there's 3% on this side that right. couldn't really see and could, could make it really tough on the players. So, um, so that's, as far as setup goes, I think that's probably – one of the, the neatest tools I've seen her use. That's pretty awesome. I think the greens always is the hot button topic about you know what what they're rolling, what the speed is, and, and that's where I would think that you you lean a you know maybe lean a little bit on the superintendent if they're if he's got them you know for his normal regular play at eleven and a half or twelve, and that's what you're going to find them at. You know where is he putting the whole, whole locations? Yeah. And you know that was something that I took pride in was training my guys teaching them about, you know, being unique with the whole locations and giving the experience or the golfers an experience that they maybe haven't been used to. And I was always accused of doing something different for a member guest or, you know, a a qualifier or something. And somebody else said, I never saw that pin before. But I'm like, yeah, it's just, you know, we we like to keep people guessing, pushing the envelope and stuff. And you always find one or two new ones, you know. So that's kind of cool as far as the whole locations. That's always a fun one to – because that's where you can protect par, do things you want to do, uh, have fun with the tournament, but also give the challenge to the golfers. Yeah, definitely. And I think you know, you know, we we don't set up our tournaments to try to protect par. It's you know, it's not the U.S. Open sure. where we we want people to. I mean, we want them to have a good time and oh, yeah. and, and and have a chance to you know play well. Um, but uh, you know, I guess I guess when we come in, you know, we don't have a certain um, you know, favorite spots on a green necessarily. Right. You know, we it's blank canvas to us. So right. we're looking to see kind of you know where we want to go, and you know a lot of times you can kind of see where the course goes in the past. You know, you can see some old hole locations. Sure. You know, they're they're in good shape, but you can tell hey they they use this area quite a bit. Or, yeah. We're looking at this area. I don't see any old hole plugs. <laughs> you know, maybe there's Why a reason. Yeah. <laughs> so, and then you know. Other things to consider too is, um, you know, if we've got a championship and we know rain's an issue, you know, we'll try to look for the high spots. Yeah. You know, that way, um, in case you get some some temporary water on the green, you know, you've got the high spot. You don't want the you don't want the whole location to be in a low spot and all of a sudden it's surrounded right. by water and you can't play. Yeah. So, just another thing to take in consideration. There is so much to consider when you're putting on a tournament. It's no doubt about that. I mean, a lot of stuff goes through your head and what you're trying to accomplish and all that. I, I, it's a, it's a big ordeal. I know it is. I mean, I've been on the side of hosting them and setting them up, and you guys are having to come in and take over a club. It's, it's a lot that goes into it. I, you know, that's why you don't get a whole lot of clubs doing it. I mean, I mean, you, 
I don't know. You got you could probably I could be wrong, but it seems like it's the same ones over and over again. You might have an outlier here or there, but is that typical, or do you try to reach out to other clubs and say, you know, are you interested in hosting a qualifier or a, an event? We got one coming up. We need a host for. Um, how does that? You know, is there certain characteristics to a club that you just we know that we we're going to go back there or let's look at another opportunity. That's a good question. Um, and it's a little bit of all of it yeah. really. Um, you know, there's not a certain, certain criteria that they have to have in order to host, you know, we, uh, you know, we just kind of, we want to try to spread them out around the state. Um, you know, I wouldn't say we always do a great job, you know, with Tennessee being the shape that we are, you know, Nashua ends up being a home for, for more than, than the rest of the state for obvious reasons. Yeah. You know, a lot of that's due to participation. You know, once we once we leave Nashville, you know, it does drop. And so, um, you know, when you're trying to put on championship and get the best players there and, and have a good size field, you know, obviously you want to host in a spot that's gonna gonna draw. Yeah. Um, you know, some some courses can host um, events better than others just because of you know type of grass. Like you know, if we're hosting a championship in May. A lot of times we'll try to go to a course that has Zoysia fairways, um, just because they green up faster than Bermuda does. You mm-hmm. know, you got a chance to have to be in better shape. Um, See, you know more about turf than. Well, I mean, <laughs> I've heard a few guys talk. I don't, <laughs> I don't know if I know that much, but uh, but you know, we try to take some of those things into consideration. Sure. Obviously, it's hard to go to a, a bent grass uh, facility in August. You know, they're hand watering and it's <laughs> 100 degrees, and try to keep them alive that time of year. So. Yeah. It's hard, you know, for like our state amateur, it's always the first week of August. Yeah. And so, um, you know, luckily we've got a, a really good rotation with uh, with six clubs that have agreed to host every 10 years. Sure. So like this year with the honors course. Yeah. So they've agreed to host the men's amateur on the nines. So 2009, 2019, 2029, you know, we know where it's going. So, yeah. um, so we've got six clubs that do that. And then, you know. Now that's typically – your biggest that is your biggest tournament yeah that's our biggest one yeah yeah because you're on the amateur side right yes I mean, sir y'all have a here, here at the golf house y'all house the tennessee pga which is the professionals and you do pretty primarily the amateurs yeah. or all the amateurs yeah. yes sir yeah women's and juniors and all that mm-hmm. now so for people that might be listening that's what we're basically talking about in the state of tennessee is the amateur uh are in hey let's just be honest uh did an amateur win the open or no no, we had two pros that uh, tied. Because um, typically the amateurs dominate the open. Uh, lately, it's been the pros. Oh, okay. Last year we did I have amateur win. Joey yeah. Joey Savoy won. Yeah. He uh, he was had just got done playing the MTSU. Yeah. And uh, he actually played last week in the Canadian Open. Um, he's from Canada. Yeah. And uh, and he's still playing as an amateur right now. Sure. Uh, this year we had a three way tie coming down the last last hole or two with Hunter Walcott, who is an amateur, plays at uh, University of Tennessee, yeah. and then uh, Hunter Green and Brad Hawkins, two professionals from East Tennessee. Okay. And uh, Hunter had a bogey on the last hole uh, to, to drop out of that playoff. And yep. So Hunter and Brad went to number 10, and, and uh, Hunter had a, had a birdie on 10 to, to win in the playoff to get his name on the trophy. But uh, we had a lot of amateurs that were up top early on in that event and, yeah. and competing for it. So we got a strong – you know, amateur golf in Tennessee is really strong. Yeah. Um, You'll see a lot of the guys go on and play in USAMs and US four balls and mid AMs, and so 
uh, it's always fun to kind of keep up with them and cheer them on while they're out there playing um, in the national events. Yeah, uh, man, we got some really good, talented golfers for sure. I didn't want to. Um, I, I do want to go back to the question. I got a sidetrack, but so you said that the honors host every, on the on the nines every. What are the six courses that are in the rotation that for the amateur? Uh, so we've got uh, two in Chattanooga. We've got uh, Chattanooga Golf and Country Club, and I think they. Are I want to play that golf course. Have you not played it? No. No. I heard great things about it. Well, let's take a road trip. Yeah, we will. I love that. That's that's, yeah. that's one of my favorites. It's, it's Donald Ross, isn't it? Donald Ross yeah, see, sits right yeah, on the river. My favorite. Sits right on the river. Yeah. Beautiful clubhouse. Sits up on top of the hill. Overlooks it all. Yeah. Um, Bill Bergen came in and and you know kind of did some some redesigned work a few years back. And, yeah. Um, I never played it beforehand, so I can't tell you how how much better he made it or not. But uh, right. I know Bergen does good work, and so um, so there um, and the honors. That's our two in Chattanooga in Knoxville. We got uh, Cherokee and Holston Hills. Two good ones. Yeah, two good ones. And two then, good superintendents, by the way, too. Yeah, yeah. I know both of them. Yep. Jason and Ryan do yep. a great job there. Um, Nashville, we got Bellmead and Hillwood. So that's our that's our six. Yeah. And then the other four, we try to, you know, get one or two in Memphis in that 10 years and then might go up to uh, Blackthorn up in, in Tri-Cities a couple years back. So so you got a little flexibility with about with where you can sprinkle in some other courses, but then those come back around. All the time. So. Yeah, they come back every ten years for for the for the AM. Sure. Now you know, hopefully, and, and most of them are hosting other events for us too in between. Yeah. Um, you know, most we're very blessed that our 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 clubs are uh, we have good participation from them. They they, yeah. they host. I don't want to say every time we call, but uh, they they do a good job of, of finding us a spot and, and hosting events yeah. uh, throughout the years. So how many how many would you say courses do you need? to participate on a yearly basis to get in the qualifiers and the competitions that you got? Oh, man. Um, Ever I thought about that? So we got about 15 championship sites, you know, qualifiers. We've got just top of my head probably another 25 um, for TGA qualifiers. And then we've also got, I think, 11 USGA qualifiers that we run. So um, – you know, do some the, of those do, overlap, though. I'm assuming, like, oh well, yeah. As we far use, as quali- we post- use some of the same courses. Yeah, you know, it's you know to do a one day qualifier is a lot easier for some courses. Yeah. You know, obviously, so um, you can kind of get in and out, and, and you know, not affect the membership very much. So, yeah. um, so we we will go to a couple of them a few times if yeah. uh, if they'll have us. And you know, we used to run the U.S. Open sectional qualifier in Memphis. So this is the first year that we didn't run that. It would have been um, you know this past. Monday, right. as as guys are getting ready to play in the U.S. Open, and uh, with the tour event there in Memphis changing to a WGC event, moving their date. Um, obviously, the the guys weren't in town for the St. Jude Classic, which is usually yeah. going on, and so um, so they moved that site from Memphis. Had been there for years, and uh, and went uh, went elsewhere with it. So it was uh, it's fun to be a part of that event, you know, the past few years, but it's also um, a pretty good drain on our staff to for five of us to, to go to Memphis for sure. for five days to run a, a two site. We were one of the two two site qualifiers, so we'd have to be at two golf courses, 120 players. They're flip flopping during the middle of the day, play 36, and uh, <laughs> all the tour pros. And so it was a, uh, and we never got done on Monday. We'd always have to come back Tuesday morning to finish playoff. And right. so um, it's a lot of fun to be a part of, and 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 you know see Steve Stricker 
Um, he won it two years ago when it was at Aaron Hills. He won the qualifier. And that was after the USGA had denied him a special exemption to play in his home state. Yeah, I heard so about that. He comes to Memphis and wins it and, yeah. and punches his ticket. So it was like, all right, good. You know, justice is served. Sure. You know, he, he's there. So, um, so it's kind of – it's fun. There's some good stories that come out of that. But, uh, you know, we were able to move state open from May into June because that qualifier going away. So yeah. hopefully that gives us a better date there. So um, – what uh, what are you excited? To, are you are you involved at all? Are you um, having to do anything with the, the the World Golf Championship in in Memphis, or, or are y'all kind of out of that? Uh, we've talked with Daryl Smith down there at the FedEx uh, at the at the event, and you know have offered our help. You know, helping get the word out. You know, yeah. we've got a, a great database a membership uh, uh, to help promote it. You know, basically. Yeah. Um, obviously, we're still got championships going on that time of year, um, so we're we're booked up as far as not being able to be on site uh, to help sure. anyway. But uh, I know he's talked with Whit Turnbow with the Tennessee Golf Foundation as well. So um, probably do a couple small things this year. But uh, we've talked about finding ways to get more involved with them as we yeah. as we go on. I'm I'm trying to figure out how to if I can volunteer. Uh, just how my schedule if I can get it done. But I did get. The and I, they may be closed by now, but I got the application to to help on the course side to do some volunteer work. That'd be fun. Yeah. If anything, I'm going to go down and watch a day or so of it. I yeah. think it'll be cool, uh, especially it's a lot bigger deal now. Yeah, a lot bigger deal, and uh, you know, it's a tough golf course. And yeah. you know, if they if they decided they want to make that one even harder, they probably can yeah. uh, than they did for the for the FedEx St. Jude Classic. But uh, unfortunately, I'd be out of town this year for it. I'll actually out of the country we got a, a tga travel trip taking 32 guys over to southwest ireland for a week to play golf so that'd be fun work calls you know somebody's <laughs> gotta do it i see it i see the look on your face yeah, yeah. I, I got it <laughs> well i would say uh, i would encourage anybody listening that hosts a or has a golf course that's thinking about hosting to reach out to you guys if you and just get on the list i was big and saying that's a big thing for us to do if we could do it you know clubs eat up a lot of their Mondays with outings and different things like that, or, you know, depending on what their schedules are, but, uh, hosting a qualifier, that's probably a good start, but, you know, getting in, getting on the list, I would encourage uh, clubs to do that. And, um, for whatever it's worth, I, I want to encourage them guys that, that may be listening to say, yeah, we'll do that. And so hopefully they reach out to you, especially if there's somebody that's not been on your radar, hadn't done it before. Yeah. That'd be great. I mean, I'm trying to trying to work in some new new sites that we haven't been to in yeah. a while, um, and, and you know I've I've been in this role for you know two and a half years now, so I, I don't have all the history of why we hadn't been to a club, but yeah. uh, just trying to reach back out to some of those and like uh, for example, we're going to go to Lookout Mountain next year for the Match Play Championship. Oh, okay, Grace could be an awesome Match Play. Yeah, I mean that's that might be the best Match Play course in the state. Who knows? But uh, yeah. um, I don't think they if I if I call correctly i don't think they've hosted a men's championship since 1993 you know that's yeah, that'd a, be good that's a it's one of those courses that if you haven't played it before yeah. you know you're you're in for a, you're in for a surprise and i hadn't been to that one either you been uh, to that one? no i mean i just don't get down to chattanooga i've played the honors i've played played signal mountain way back in the day um well, look at the old seth rayner yeah it's one of those that uh played black creek yeah black creek great yeah at the women's am there right now so um, it's a 
it's a rainer and, and you know they say you know all the putts break towards the cottage you know you got to know where the cottage is at all times right. you know you'll you'll look at a green and it looks like it's going to break right then it'll break uphill you know and so it's it's one of those that uh make you pull your hair out the first time or two that you play it but uh after you figure that out yeah. uh, you can appreciate how how good it's it is. funny how that works every place is how oh, it breaks this way or it breaks that way i'm like it's funny how that all works out yeah for yeah. sure well, let's. Normally, I ask. Uh, we got right into it, but normally I ask some about the guy or gal that I'm interviewing. So, tell me a little bit about yourself, how you got to where you're at, uh, how you ended up here at uh, at the golf house, being the executive director, and sort of your um, pathway in your career towards uh, what you're doing now. Yeah, sure. Um, I went to the University of Tennessee. Started back in the 1900s. We will talk about football. That's a long time ago. Football is great. We will talk about football. <laughs> Go ahead. I'll just cut, cut this podcast short. <laughs> now, uh, so I went back, to, uh, went to UT, started back in the 1900s, uh, had a great run up there. Uh, I was looking for an internship with my degree, and I found one with the old Vince Gill Junior Tour that, uh, that we operate here. Sure. It's now called the SNED Tour. But uh, it's when I got into golf and, and fell in love with it that summer, um, running those events. Um, I wasn't very knowledgeable in the game of golf or with the rules, but uh, I think it was the second tournament I did is when I thought this was a great game. Um, there was a kid, that we were playing at uh, Knoxville Municipal Golf Course. Mm-hmm. Kid comes in, he shot 133 that day and had the biggest smile on his face. Like for one round? Like for one round. Yeah, boy. And I was like, I was like, this kid got beat by 50 shots by the second worst golfer there. <laughs> What's he so happy about? Yeah. And so I start. I look at a scorecard, and on the back nine, he had a twenty on a hole, and then a one, then a thirteen. No way. He made a hole in one between a twenty and a thirteen on his way to <laughs> shoot one thirty three, and he was the happiest kid there. I was yeah. like, man, this is a great game. Yeah. <laughs> so I kind of got hooked got on it. it. You got hooked on it, and then uh, the following uh, year, I did a USGA boat ride internship yeah. uh, here at Golf House for the for our junior tour, and. Uh, after that was ending, uh, Neil Collins, who uh, runs Henry Horton, um, he was a tournament director for the Tennessee PGA at the time, and he left to go to Gaylord Springs, and so that opened up a position, and, and so ended up uh, working for the Tennessee PGA for four years, traveling state. Uh, I think it's probably when I first met you, yep. and uh, uh, running their running their events, and then uh, Dick Horton came up with the idea of uh, all golf is local, and. Uh, you know, we have Golf House Tennessee here in Franklin, and there's a lot of activities that run out of here, but, you know, how are we affecting Memphis and Knoxville and Tri-Cities? And sure. so uh, he started the regional director positions, and I was the first one and moved me all the way up to Tri-Cities, as far away from the office that so can get me. <laughs> and uh, spent three and a half years there, started the first tee program, did lots of junior golf, worked with the PGA guys, and then uh, moved to Knoxville for the same position. Uh, for six years, um, and so had about a ten-year run in that role, which provided me lots of great opportunities. You know, yeah. I, was, I was a one-man show. I didn't have a uh, responsibilities of necessarily what I was supposed to be doing every day. Is kind of go out there and, and be involved in golf as much as you can and, sure. and see what you can do. And so I was involved with the first tee. I ended up running a par three golf course for the county. Did a renovation project. Nice. Uh, yeah, we. We didn't have a driving range, so took out three holes, put in a range there, and built three new holes. Um, you know, just 
you know, I was on the championship committee for the for the web.com event. So just a little bit of everything that kind of exposed me to, you know, lots of different areas of golf. Right. And then uh, Matt Vanderpool, who was the executive director here in Tennessee, um, left to go to the Georgia State Golf Association for the same role. Yeah. So opened up a chance to, to come back here in the office and, and uh, been here for, like I said, two and a half years now. And so I'm from this area, so good to be back home. Yeah. But I do miss Knoxville, especially on Saturdays in the fall. Do you get to go watch watch a bunch of the games? Yeah, we. Uh, I mean, when we lived there, we went to all of them. But uh, we'll get back two or three times each each fall. Yeah. So how do you how how are you enjoying the role so far? I mean, two and a half years, you're kind of getting your feet wet now and getting in the groove. You seem like you're enjoying it. Yeah, it's uh you know it's been a good challenge. Yeah. You know, um, the first thing I had to tackle were the finances. Um, you know, just trying to find new revenue and and uh, make the budget look a little better. Yeah. And so we were able to accomplish that. Um, now, how, can you talk a little bit about how y'all, how that works for y'all? Do y'all make them through your events or do you have sponsors or is there, is there a way you can talk about how that, how you guys generate revenue? Yeah. So our revenue comes from, from events and, uh, and from handicap. Okay. So, most of the money comes from the handicap service. So we've got 32,000 members around the state that handicap with us, you know, members at, at the private clubs right. and, you know, golfers at, you know, public courses like Hermitage, Greystone, et cetera. So, um, so handicap revenue is a, is a big part. And then sure. we started to uh, grow our, uh, our revenue or, uh, through like advertising and sponsorships, that kind of stuff. We, yeah. TGA hadn't really, um, uh, experience, experimented with that much in the past, but trying to leverage some of our partnerships and, and, you know, and it's afforded us to do, you know, do things better than we have in the past. I think, right. um, you know, we were able to hire Darren Reese last year to run our communications. And so if you don't follow us on Twitter, you can follow at TN golf. So Darren's come in and I mean, he covers the events. He's like our, our onsite reporter, basically, yeah. you know, he'll go and he'll, He'll get pictures, he'll write the press release, he'll post videos, he'll do uh, post-round interviews, um, he'll write the story on it. Um, he does our digital magazine that we, that we produce every quarter. Um, so he's really a really – he does a graphic design work. I mean, he's, he's very talented and, and, and has done a great job. And um, that's, so, that's soon to be – he's going to need help in that role because it's just increasing more and more every day. Yeah, it, it is, and, you know, he's taken our Twitter following. When he started just over a year ago, we had 2,600 uh, followers. Yeah. And we were middle of the pack for all the state golf associations. And now we've got uh, – oh, man, I don't want to misquote. I think we got 6,200. Oh, that's nice. And uh, we are the third largest in, in the country behind the Met, New York, and the Carolinas Golf Association. Sure. And he's about to catch one of them. I think he's only like 30 behind. So. Yeah. Soon to be number two. I didn't know that was a competition, but it looks like it is. It's, it's competition on our end. I don't. Yeah. I don't know if anybody else knows it's competition. Right. We've been knocking them off, you know, one by one as he as he's you know increased our followers. He got a whiteboard somewhere, and he's got uh, the numbers written down. Uh, he, we've got a document that uh, that he had there for a while, but yeah. now there's just two uh, just two ahead of us. So you know, yeah. he, he's got that in his head now. <laughs> but he's he's done a great job, and yeah. you know, we've even sent him. We sent him to. Uh, uh, Augusta National for the women's amateur this year because Mariah Smith was playing in it. Yeah. She's our you know reigning Tennessee women's amateur champion. So he went down there and covered that. 
and he covered the U.S. women's four ball because we had six girls playing in it. Um, and I think Rachel Heck made all the way to the final four, I believe it was, this year. So, I mean, we had some players that were sure. had a chance to win it. And so we sent them down there to cover that. And so it's great to, to not – you know, there's events that I can't make it to or many of us can't make it to, but if, if you're following us on Twitter, you know, you feel like you're there and yeah. just like you would any other, you know, major championship out there. Well, that's good. I mean, I think social media has been a big help to, you know, a lot of different organizations and associations. And, I mean, it's only getting bigger and better. And, you know, with Instagram and Twitter, I think, which are probably the two in terms of business and pushing things out. I mean, LinkedIn some. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's good. And I, I know I follow you guys. And I, I thought you all – I thought you actually ran the, the tee and golf. That, But it's, um, you know, hey – Keep on doing it, and it, it's uh, you know definitely something that I would encourage. Yeah, Darren Darren does a lot better job than I would have done. So <laughs> as as all those posts come from him, he he's good at it. Well, I wouldn't want to see all those UT football posts in in the fall or anything like that. So <laughs> yeah, you might have to unfollow me, man. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, uh, where do I want to go with the? Have you been out to the, we? So, have you been to the Troubadour? Have not been to Troubadour since they you know started doing construction and you need to go see that place i hear it's looking pretty good yeah i have uh i did a some work out there at a residence and i saw it when it was uh before and i've seen it after and um i don't want i don't want to go out on a limb and say that it's spectacular in terms of visually different from what it was but um it is visually different than what it was I don't want to say it's. It looks to be phenomenal and could be as good as we find around here. Right. And there was a lot of good golf courses around here, but and and I'm a, I've got a deep rooted love for the golf club of Tennessee. I mean, I cut my teeth there and I right. spent a lot of time and and so I'll I'll probably always that'll probably always be number one. But you need to go check that place out, and I think it, I think it's going to be land on your places of place uh, to have uh, competition. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. Yeah, I've, uh, I've gotten the invite from Johan to go out there a time or two, and just uh, couldn't make it at yeah. that time. So uh, definitely want to go see it. Do, do they do any kind of rerouting, or is it all kind of in the same footprint and with just you know? I I can't be for certain. I believe it's a lot of the same rerouting. I mean, the same routing. It's just completely facelift. I mean, uh, moving greens, different locations, uh, tee boxes. Uh, fairways are adjusted different bunkering i mean but from the standpoint of the holes being in the same location i i think they are there right. could i could be wrong on that but um and i've only seen i i drove around i think the the homeowner told me it was six seven eight nine okay yeah um but uh and those were almost finished now they're not close to opening i don't think they they may be a, um the end of the summer Probably spring, I would I would guess. But anyways, I didn't I, I don't talk much about specific golf courses that I but I think that that was one and we talked about it a little over Twitter. But I think it I think that's one that's going to be uh, nobody's going to see coming. Uh, Fazio's doing a phenomenal job. They got some wild uh, uh, sort of how they're doing the roughs with the pine straw and some of the landscaping and and it's cool season rough. With Zoysia fairways, sand capped. Uh, they went back to bent grass greens. 
Right. So they're um, they're really trying to compete with the Grove and some of the local, you know, a completely different look. Yeah. And it's going to be spe- uh, it's going to have the wow factor for sure. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I, I, I'm a fan of Fazio. I think he does a great job. Yeah. I've played a lot of good Fazios, the golf club and Victoria National, Congaree. Yeah. Um, there's another one out there I'm missing right now that uh, is really good. But um, uh, the Virginian, Mother Virginian. Yeah. Um, was a member up there when I when, uh, lived in the Tri-Cities and great place to play. And so look forward to seeing what he's got uh, cooking over there. Yeah, yeah I, I mean – won't disappoint you. I, I promise you, it's a good one. So, but um, what do you feel? How are you feeling about football season this year? Uh, still, still nowhere to go but up. It's been yeah. been that way for a few years now. So, <laughs> you don't like talking about this with me, right? Oh, I don't mind. <laughs> I don't mind. Well, I I think Saban's got to retire sometime. Yeah, I think I, I, everybody asks me that, and I don't know. I mean, uh, I think he's, I think he's in it for another four, four or five years. Might be my guess, but. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't get to talk a lot of sports and and jab at guys, but I have a lot of UT friends and and um, and you know, I think it's you know we went through the downtime. You know, yeah. we went through the times where it was rebuilding and going through coaches and you know and uh, you know you just, you just hope you land on the one. You know, and, yeah. and Jeremy's a, seems to be a pretty good coach, but you know, just got to give him time, get the players in there, and it's it's all the more difficult when you got a guy. And, South Carolina beating up on people, and you know, with with Clemson, you got Bama, and now you got Kirby down in Georgia. I mean, it, it becomes becomes difficult. Yeah, well, I think I think we finally had the right AD yeah. for the first time in a long time. So, yeah. you know, well, that's big. I think we're getting. I think we're still suffering from. You know, we never should have fired Fulmer in the first place. Yeah. You know, I think. You know, being a UT fan, hopefully I can say this, but you know, I think our fans thought we were a bigger, better program than maybe we were. You yeah. know, if you take out the former years, I mean, we're a, we were eight and three, you know, program for many years, you know, yeah. majors and, and going back before that, you know, great run while Neyland was there, great run while Fulmer was there. Then all of a sudden it wasn't good enough and, and, you know, we're still paying for it. Yeah. And, uh, but now that he's back there, he's a football guy. So I think he'll give Jeremy Pruitt, you know, time, Sure. you know, knowing that it's going to take time. But, uh, I think we got some talent at the skill positions, but, you know, we just – offense line was, you know, a couple of years ago we were starting two walk-ons, you know, in the last yeah. game of the season. And uh, when you're in the SEC, you can't start walk-ons <laughs> at the offensive line and expect to have a chance to win. So, no. It, uh, it it gets over quick. Yeah. Uh, when, when you got just out, out-talented. out I wouldn't want to be the quarterback with, no. <laughs> with those guys rushing you. So, But, no, it's uh, – you know, I'm a huge college football fan. I've actually traveled and seen 30 different stadiums oh, for wow. a game. And so, uh, buddies and I from college, we just said, hey, let's let's go check out some other, other spots. And so, every year when the schedule comes out, uh, April, May, you know, yeah. we'll start looking to see kind of where we can see two or three games in one weekend. Yeah. And so, that's where we'll go. Um, last year, we went to uh, uh, UCLA at Colorado on a Friday night. And then Air Force had a home game on Saturday. Nice. And so went out there and then played golf for a couple of days and, and came back. So yeah. it's it's uh, it's fun. And we always wear our UT stuff because it just kind of <laughs> starts the conversation. You're that guy. I'm that guy. You know, <laughs> go to somebody else's home with the UT gear. I, I hear you. But like you know, for example, at Colorado, you know, there were six of us out there and we're wearing UT stuff and we're out there at their tailgate. Yeah. And their old coach uh, McCarthy, uh-huh. he was doing a radio show. 
you know. So he, he sees us hanging out there, and he calls us out on the radio yeah. and then comes over and talks with us and sure. tells us, hey, Knoxville's the second – my second favorite city I've been to for, for a football game and went right. into, you know, some games that he had done. And so it just starts the conversation and, you know, people are like, what are you doing here? And, you know, it's like, Hey, you just want to come check it out. You yeah. know, it looked, uh, looked great on TV and want to see what the atmosphere is like. So how much do you get to play golf? Um, it goes through spurts. Uh, you know, I'm not a, I'm not much of a winter golfer. Yeah. So, you know, I'll take the winter off and then, um, try to get back out here, you know, in March, April, uh, when the weather turns a little better. But, uh, you know, I might get to play twice in two weeks and then might be off for six weeks. So it's really just depending on what the schedule puts out there. Yeah. I'm, I'm the same. I do not like to play in the winter unless I travel. No. Um, my, I got, my dad lives in Arizona. So if I get to go out there, I'll take my clubs with me. If I go south or Florida or something, which is rare, but yeah. I, I and I don't get to play much anymore. I mean, my handicap says it's a three point eight, I think, and I but I I don't play that well anymore. Can't play, yeah, yeah. Um, it it comes and goes in spurts. I just don't get to practice or play anymore. I, I want to. I have uh, up until see, I was. 2015 when I, I think um, by the year after I was let go from Brentwood, I um I played in competitions. I tried to play in at least one a year. I would pick whether it be the mid-am or the amateur. I, I mean, yeah. at least I'd try to qualify, state open, yeah. something, just to keep the competitive juices flowing. And one of the hardest things I ever did was I hosted the state open the year I qualified for it. <laughs> and that was no fun. No. I, I didn't realize how I should have just pulled myself. I Qualifying for the tournament was fine. I should have turned over everything else to my staff. I just couldn't do it. Yeah. So I'm first off one morning, last off the next day, walking, you know, working. I was – I wouldn't recommend that to anybody. No, it's tough. It's, I saw that on the on the PGA Pro side a lot too yeah. when, when, a, when a pro would host an event and also try to play in it. Yeah. You know, it's hard to kind of get in that comp, competitive mindset when, you know, you're worried about mowing greens and did they get the whole locations right and – Make sure they, you know, rake the bunkers or whatever it might be for setup that day, and yeah. you know you're out there playing. You might see something. Oh wait, we missed this, or you know nobody else knows you missed it, but you know you had on the list for the guys to do. Yeah. So now you're not thinking about hitting the next shot. So it's I couldn't imagine trying to play an event and and work at the same time. It was it was not a smart idea. <laughs> I should have I should have played in the event and just acted like a participant in and realize that I had a talented enough staff to give them direction and they would do it. Because it was fine. I just – I couldn't mentally check out to no. play golf. Everything bothered me. Yeah. I was a little more on edge than I would normally want to be. Um, and that's a tough deal. Yeah. I mean, it was a good experience. I'm glad I did it, you know. But um, I, had an, I had a little bit of a prior history to that. When I worked at the Golf Club of Tennessee, we hosted the uh, state amateur. And – I I really knuckled down that year. I took about a year or maybe a little bit before to practice and really hone in my skill. I, I was actually – I got with Patrick Jackson, who was the pro over here at the time, um, and took lessons, said, Let, let's get this thing in, and I qualified. I went for the qualifier at – I think the qualifier was at Greystone. And I had one bad hole. Shot 74 and missed the cut by one. Hmm. 
and it was it was the hole I hate the worst out there. It's um, the par five number twelve, I think, with the yeah. rocks and all in the middle. Yeah. Hit a ball in the hazard left, and it just didn't recover. I mean, it took me a little bit, but anyways, I, I was like, but then I ha- then I had to work that tournament, and that was even a bigger deal. And I would have been like, <laughs> oh man, I was I was basically in charge of the course, but we had the way we were set up, we had a director over me, so I was still in charge of everything. But I was yeah. I would have been even worse. I would I would have thought I probably wouldn't have yeah. done well. I actually almost I did. I played better than I thought when I was at Brentwood, but man, that's a that's not that's not an easy task. No, especially would. when you want to compete. You know, the comp- competition just to just to make the cut and do those sort of things is is what's in me. You know, I, I'm never going to win. I don't think I'm going to ever win. I, I wish I had a different mindset than that, but I just don't play enough. But yeah. just to be out there and compete, and you yeah, know. that's got to be tough. Yeah, I've never tried it. <laughs> <laughs> I shot uh, the state am was at Bell Mead, and I don't know when it was. I, I, dates run together to me, but um, the first day I shot seventy two, uh, and I qualified um, at at Harpeth Hills. I I won. I almost won the thing, but I shot seventy three. It got into a playoff and birdied the first hole. So, anyways, I get in, and um, I shoot seventy two the first day at Bell Mead. I had six birdies. <laughs> Nice. Shot seventy two, which no, it's not because I was all over the place. Yeah. I, I putted, I probably had twenty putts. The next day, I shot eighty two and missed a cut. <laughs> like man, it was one of the hottest days of the year too. It was brutal. That's a lot of fun playing in competitions. I think I remember Danny Green talking about that one because he came back to play in the State Am at Bell Mead in Os in seventeen. Because he said he had never finished an event at Bellmead. So that one in 07, I think he had a heat stroke or almost had a yeah. heat stroke and had a WD. So. It was either 07 or 08. It was hot. And I had the, I was had the second afternoon round the second day and 82 whipped me yeah. walking and wasn't fun. They just redid their bunkers. And so yeah. I, I saw uh, the pro at the state opening. He goes, you need to come out and check them out. Yeah. So uh, not sure what all they were doing to them but uh look forward to getting there and seeing seeing what they look like i, I went out and visited doug and i'm and i've been trying to, how about that maintenance facility <laughs> ridiculous he um they got a wonderful place they deserved that was of any course deserved it they did i mean that they've been behind the times on that deal for a long time but so i spent a, i spent some time with doug because i'm doing this podcast i just try to talk to people try to schedule guys who will even respond back to me and say hey what's your thoughts because i do all that i do i do all the scheduling trying to get with people and so doug's been one that's been on the list for a while and so i spent time with him we talked and we're going to do one eventually but he talked me through some of the the bunkering that they did because they went through a renovation with reese jones not too long ago but they some of the bunkering was um they just needed to rework. They, I did. I think they did the better Billy Bunker, but they kind of redid, shallowed some of the bunkers, put new gravel drainage, and relined them. And so I don't think there was. There may have been some, and I could be wrong, but it, I don't think there was a lot of structural changes or moving or adding. But I yeah. think they just internal stuff. Yeah, I think yeah. so too. But are, are there any courses that uh, that we don't visit that uh, you, you know you were asking about? You know clubs hosting championships is there anybody on the list that you you think we've been missing that you want to see added back that's a good question I, you know there's so many courses in in tennessee i don't you know 
I don't know. Um, I mean, you go to Spring Creek. I'll just kind of go down the list of some of my favorites. But, you know, Golf Club of Tennessee, which I know is – they're involved with everything. They get US, I work the USGF uh, women's yeah. deal with Jeff and them out there. So the honors is there. Um, what are is uh, the farm up in Bristol? Is that is it called Old Farm? The Old Farm is that is that in Tennessee or no? No, it's in Virginia. Virginia, um, but it's a good one. Yeah, Spring Creek. I mean, obviously, y'all go there. They've Memphis. been very active. Yeah. What about um, places like Miramichi? I've never played Miramichi, but is it is it one that? See, Miramichi's one that I haven't been to since it was the club at Big Creek, so I never saw yeah. – I haven't seen the renovation. Yeah. Um, and so it's one of those that I need to make a trip to Memphis. And there's there's a lot of courses in Memphis I haven't played yeah. or seen. Um, you know, I've never – I've never been on the golf course at Wendyke. Uh, um, I've, we re-rated – we did the course rating for Chickasaw after their renovation. Yeah, that was recent, year. wasn't it? Yeah, Bill yeah. Birkin did that one last year. Yeah. And uh, it's it's really good. Um, I'd never been on the course beforehand, but uh, looks great. We're actually going to do the senior four ball there next year, so that'd yeah. be a you know it's got a couple of quirky holes, um, just being landlocked from you know nineteen twenty two, you know nowhere to go. But uh, uh, but you know in a senior four ball, you know it, you know you got a partner to help you out too. So yeah. uh, go try that out. Uh, but Miramichi is one that I have not seen. Uh, we ran the Monday qualifier for the St. Jude there. When it was a club at Big Creek um, years ago, yeah. and it was a you know nice you know pretty good golf course back then. So look forward to seeing what that one looks like. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that one's it's that one's not only going to Memphis, but you're you're going up to Millington and really just kind of you know off the beaten path. Right. Um, and so that one might be hard to pull off just just for the logistical part of it. Yeah. But um, that would be a, a good one to, to, to look into. I mean, I'm assuming that you guys got to have some facilities close by to house the participants and all the different. You know, you, there's certain things you got to have. I mean, just being in and around a big city is not part of it. I mean, you got to have some different things that are sort of local and you can handle the amount of you know 140 people or whatever. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, you want to have some housing that's close by or you know lodging that yeah. uh, that people can stay at and place to eat that yeah. kind of stuff. So. You know, that's one of the things with like Sweetens Cove, um, you know, without having a building right now, you know, if we had an event and you get a thunderstorm, you know, lightning, yeah. you know, where where's everybody going to go? Um, you know, I'm sure daily basis you can go get in your car and you can leave or sure. whatever, but we can't fit that many people in the shed. Right. And so um, they posted know. some renderings of some work that they're going to do. Me and Brent talked about on the podcast, but it looks like they got some some facility stuff they're going to do. I didn't really study it all that hard, but yeah. Now, and, and you know, that would definitely open up the, the opportunity to, to come there for, yeah. for an event. And, you know, we've actually hosted two championships at Swanee over the past few years. I, I wanted to ask you about that, about the nine hole facilities and how they would factor in to hosting an event and how that works with you guys. Can you maybe yeah. touch on that? A minute? Yeah. So that one, uh, you know, again, I give credit to Allison for, for, you know, being smart enough to know how to navigate that where yeah. it goes off without a hiccup. But, uh, you know, we got a lot of publicity from the USGA on that one because they have that Play 9 initiative. Right. And so we hosted the Girls Junior Championship there uh, three years ago. And uh, and it went off, you know, much better than expected. You know, there were some parents that were worried, hey, you know, what's this going to be like at a nine-hole facility? But, you know, at Swanee, um, 
it's nine holes, but they like number one, for instance, plays as a par four one time, and then you back it up like seventy five yards, play as a par sure. five. So it's got some some options there. Um, and then we hosted the women's senior championship last year there, which was great because I mean they got the lodge right there, yeah. so the ladies are staying on site. You know they're eating, you know hanging out in the in the, in the lobby in the bar at, at night, and it's all right there. So I mean yeah. it was it was a great spot for it and. Uh, it's a tough golf course too. Um, oh, for know, sure. Those, those par threes, number three and five, are you know you got force carries all the way up to the green, and so it, it can play kind of tough. Yeah. But uh, uh, but you know Allison, you know she she found a way to navigate you know the tee times and staggering them and and allowing for them to turn, and and so it uh, with a small enough field, you know we were able to make it work. Yeah, I mean I think it's great. Those are uh, between Swanee and Sweden's Cove. They're you know really unique fun golf courses that need to be on on some the ro- rotation and be shared as part of competitions because not only are they great golf courses they got you know a lot of good things going for it the superintendents are great at both of them tim i yeah. know well and yeah. brent and so i mean and then it's just fantastic and and i i don't know i mean they're not building a lot of golf courses these days they're not you know just not a ton of new ones but i mean i think that's could be a, a more a normal sort of idea if somebody's going to build a golf course is to build a really cool nine-hole place like Sweden's Cove. Yeah. Now, I know they may add, you know, stuff down the road, but that turned out to be sort of their niche was um, to get in there and build a really cool nine-hole facility. Yeah, and, and you know, the way it's built, you know, in, in the green complexes, yeah. I mean, that golf course could play different every time you play it. Yeah. I mean, from the angle that you're coming in from, you've got some humps and hills that you got to – chip over and you know it's going to play different every time and yeah. so uh that's i think that's part of the fun unique uniqueness part of that and i know bergen's doing a short course up in oak ridge yeah. um might be called the patch i think might be the name of I it i saw something about but, that but uh he's started construction on that and uh uh it looks like it's gonna be on a nice piece of property uh, up there on the lake or right you know, close to the lake so yeah I think there are a lot more, and you see a lot of these resorts kind of doing the short courses too. Yep. I know, um, like, Sea Island was down there for the SEC Championship officiating, and they had just built a an 18-hole putting course, you know, that 6 o'clock at night, you got everybody in the, in the families out there on there. You know, they got, you know, they got little drink holders on the on the tee stands that they right. have, and the kids are out there putters, mom's out there putting, so it's got the, it's got the entire family out there and uh, hanging out, you yeah. know playing a little bit of golf, you know, kind of getting them started. And I know the King Collins groups that did Sweetens are doing a, a, a renovation at Sea Palms right there in Seattle too. I've never seen that property yet. But yeah. knowing that they're involved makes me want to go check it out next next summer or next spring when I'm down there. So um, you see a lot – you're starting to see a lot more of that. And uh, I think that is a, a good trend for golf and – you know, I think I think we definitely overbuilt golf courses for a decade. For sure. Um, you know, honestly, there's there's courses that probably need to close for the health of the game, but uh, you just don't want to be that. You don't want to be the, the course that has to close. But you know, for everybody else to succeed, we've got too many options and not enough players to yeah. to to fill them all up. So, well, hey, I, I mean, I look, we're sitting here at the golf house. Y'all have a. A twenty-seven hole, which is right near the Legends Club, but there's the nine-hole facility here, and I and I keep seeing little kids running around everywhere. Yeah, I mean, talk a little bit about this place and what you got going on here, because I mean, we're growing the game 
that's, you know, we've got to get young kids involved. Uh, it seems to be, you know, I work at a, I help a facility right down the road at Harpeth Valley, uh, the golf center out in Bellevue. And, you know, it's a nine hole, it has a little nine hole par three and it's a huge mm-hmm. driving range and we're yeah. making strides to grow the game. And they had a Innsworth school out there today. I mean, so talk a little bit about what you got going on here at the golf house. And I know the Steads, if you want to touch on the Sneds tour a little bit, yeah. but, um, I mean, this is cool to see these kids out here just banging balls. Oh man, this is a this is a great place to work. You know, pulling yep. in the driveway, and and we've got uh, the junior golf academy going on this week. So they do that six seven weeks during the summer. Fifty kids would come and stay. We've got dorm rooms here in the back, so yep. they stay in the dorm rooms. We've got a kitchen on site that makes all their meals, but uh, it's golf from from sun up to sundown. And uh, you pull in, you, you see them out there practicing and playing. You got PJ professionals, college coaches giving them instruction. So. Uh, my son actually came two weeks ago sure. uh, for the first week and uh, had a blast. You know, made a lot of new friends from across the state that came in for it. And, um, you know, the golf course is in great shape. You know, we're blessed that uh, the Legends Club next door, they maintain our golf course. You know, we don't have we don't have a maintenance building. We don't have equipment. You know, we just we pay them a fee, annual fee, and, and they come over here and they maintain it just like they do their course. So, uh, it's always in good shape, and it's uh, you know if it's empty, you can walk it in 39 minutes right. and play nine holes, and, and uh, it's a great place to get uh, get kids started. You know, I've got some neighbor kids that I've brought out that were baseball players, and so let's go. You know, Grace, my son Gray wants to come out and play, and we'll bring them with us. And all of a sudden, now they've got golf clubs, and uh, they've got a place to come over and practice and and play, and you know you you can bring the entire family over, and you know, I think. I think we get like 1,500 different kids that come through an actual clinic pro- program, yeah. you know, each year. So it's amazing. Uh, it's amazing how good of a job they do here. Um, yeah. You know, I take no credit for that. That's that's not my that's not my part. But uh, they do a, a great job and um, got a great relationship with which legends that helps us helps us do that. And, yeah. um, you know, the Snes tour, uh, Brant um, having his name on it, and and he's active and. Uh, participates, you know, helping helping grow that, and you know we'll have sixteen hundred kids that participate, and like eight or like one hundred and thirty tournaments during the summer, like a seven week stretch. Yeah. And so you know they're they're from Bristol to Memphis, and um, kids all over the place playing, and you know we've got a great junior golf program in Tennessee, and if you look at the state rankings according to the National Junior Golf Scoreboard. We're always ranked like number four, number five in the country. Yeah, and uh, you know we're behind a couple of states like California, Texas, Florida that you you we should be behind based off of climate and numbers. Sure, but there's a lot of states that you that should be ahead of us. You would think based off of that that uh, that we've surpassed. You know, yeah. and we've just got a great junior golf department that uh, has lots of opportunities out there for them to play and compete and, and have a good time while they're doing it. Well, it's awesome to see. I mean, I know. Um, hey, I'm a product of the Golf Academy. Did you? It was at Fall Creek Falls when yeah. I went through it, though. Yeah. Um, and we had to go. You know, we I spent probably three or four summers, or you know, weeks in the summer, and I went through it. And yeah. that's where I met Dick Horton and lot, you know Gibby Gilbert back in the day. I mean, I'm dating myself, yeah. but it was a long time ago. But uh, and then they moved. It, I guess it's all here now i mean they it's all here uh this place was built in 95 yeah. so it's been here since then but uh it's great like anytime i go out and we're talking junior golf 
you know, yeah. doing a rules clinic or something around the state, and we talk about, you know, some of the things that we do, and the academy comes up, there's always somebody in the audience that went to Fall Creek Falls to, yeah. to, to the camp, and um, we're starting to get grandfathers now. So yeah. they say, hey, I, I was at the very first one, or I was <laughs> at the, you know, very first couple. So yeah. we're getting three generations of, 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 um, of guys that have gone through golf camp now. Man, I went with my brother who's a couple years younger than me, some friends. Um, but I had my, my kids, I have three, three kids, two girls and a boy. And they, uh, two of my girls went here, they came here and did it. So, I mean, it's been something that I've tried to keep in the family and and enjoy, but yeah, I was a fall Creek faller. That's awesome. (laughs) Love playing that golf course, had fun. That's kind of where I learned. I mean, you know, just banging balls and getting after it. Learn how to compete with the other guys. And, you know, yeah, it's funny, I came out here, um, they did like a little four-person scramble graduation um, on the last day. So I came out, walked to my son, I was like, it's like how are you doing? He goes, I'm not hitting it good. Yeah. I was hitting it better before I came to golf camp. <laughs> you know, I was like, well, are you having fun? He goes, yeah, I'm having fun. I was like, well, at least you're having fun. He's he's type A, you know, he wants to win. Yeah. And his, his response was, I'd rather not have fun and hit the ball better. <laughs> you got to love them. Yeah. You got to love them. So. Well, I, we, we talked a lot about it, and I know um, we're getting down towards the end, but I, I'd be I, – I wouldn't do it justice if we didn't talk a little bit about the rules that uh, and some of the changes because I, 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 I know that that's been a little bit of a topic, and, uh, and I'd like to maybe get your thoughts on the upcoming U.S. Open. So before we end it, just talk a little bit about the rule changes um, that have happened and how that's implemented uh, clubs or impacted clubs. I know you did a talk with our local superintendents, which was well attended, and we appreciate it. Yeah. Um, but uh, there's a lot of people that are listening that may not have heard that or understand it. So touch on the new rules of golf um, and some of the things that are impacting courses and what they're having to do. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the USGA and the RNA, they spent seven-plus years, you know, rewriting the rule book um, to come up with what they, what they, you know, released in January 1 of this year. Oh. And uh, input from, you know, all the different organizations, um, you know, they put it out there in the public last year to take input and comments for feedback. And, you know, they actually made some changes that came from the initial release after they received some of that feedback to what was actually, you know, implemented. Sure. And so I think they, I think the USGA did a great job overall. Sure, there's a couple things that are, you know, they've had some, uh, I don't want to say rewrite, but it has some adjustments, you know. But when you rewrite a, a rule book that thick, you know, there's going to be some wording or something that just sure. that didn't quite get right the first first release. And the rules weren't perfect the way they were either. I mean, there was always new decisions coming out every couple of years, yeah. and 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 so you know, to me, that's just kind of it's always going to happen. You know, there's going to be something new that happens that they're like, well, that didn't turn out fair with the way the rule is, so yeah. let's make an adjustment. So, uh, but I think they've done a great job. Um, I think if you're new to the game of golf, the rules are much easier to, to learn now. Um, I also think there's a lot more logic that comes into play than yeah. used to. There used to be an exception to the exception to the exception, you know, right. after so many years of, of, of the rules. And so they've cleaned up a lot. And um, I think they, like I said, I think they've done a great job. Um, you know, there's a lot of the guys on tour that were, you know, poking fun or complaining or whining about it. But, uh, it made Twitter really fun yeah. for a rules guy for a few months, but <laughs> the drop is the one I've seen them the 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 most. Yeah, uh, the I, mean, I think what Ricky got penalized for 
a improper drop and it was you know i don't you know i don't know maybe the particulars around it but yeah ricky ricky dropped his right way but he he dropped it on a slope because he was taking relief from a red penalty area yeah. which used to be a water hazard so he dropped it the right way but then he went up to you know check out you know where he wants to land the ball in the green and when he started walking back the ball rolled back into the penalty area yeah well that ball was in play and so now he had to redrop and take another penalty stroke because now his ball was in the water again. So that was just that was one of those you know, freak yeah, things freak that thing, you know yeah. happens, then, has happened once in the last sixty years on right. tour. And so yeah. you're not going to rewrite the rule book on that. Sure. But uh, yeah, you see a lot of people don't like the drop. You know, you're dropping from your knee instead of from your shoulder. Yeah. It looks a little silly right now as you get used to it. And nobody will ever say anything again. But you got to think what they've done is they've given you a relief area to drop it in, which is a bigger relief area than you had in the past uh, in most cases. And then a lot of people were like, well, why can't we just place it? Well, I think the USGA was real close on that, and I think the RNA was not. And so, yeah. you know, had to give and take when you got two bodies there. But the closer you are to the ground when you let go of it, the better chance you have of the ball staying in the nice patch of grass that's in your area. First. Right. So think of how much your, your odds are much better at your knee than they were at your shoulder. Right. And so even though you got a lot of people complaining, if they stop and think about it, you know, this is a better situation than we had in the past. You got a much better chance of the ball um, landing on a good spot of turf yeah. and not rolling out. And, and then it's also should, in most cases, stay in that relief area on the first drop. And so you don't have to get into redrop in and all that kind of stuff. So right. the whole goal is to try to pick up some pace of play and so if you only have to drop once and you're closer to the ground, you should get the ball back and play faster. So, um, so that was one that, uh, you know, you saw people poking fun of. And, you know, you know I, I don't disagree with it looking, you know, people who think it, it looks funny from the knee, you know, yeah. but it's it's not really that hard when you when you actually get out and do it. No, it, I, I would, it looks to me like there was a, there was a compromise there because I, I'm like you. I think the idea is you've already been penalized. There's a chance if you drop it from this distance, shoulder height, yeah. that you're going to be penalized again for some bad break. Yeah. And so let's, if, if placing's not the option, let's keep you as as close to the ground as you possibly can to try to get it into a spot. Well, if you remember when they first released what they intended the new rules to be, you know, back in the middle of 2018, yeah. the original um, proposal was to drop it from an inch off the ground. So, so just, they were trying to get you yeah. as close to placing as possible. Right. And then after feedback, you know, time, that's when it got raised back up to, to your knee. So um, I'm not sure whose feedback or what feedback it was that, that made it change. But originally yeah. they wanted you to – they were allow you to drop it from just an inch off the ground. So um, I think you're right as far as, you know, you've already paid a penalty or, or maybe you had a good lob but you're staying on the cart path. Well, now you drop and now it falls in a hole, you know, but it's in play. Yeah. You know, you, you shouldn't really get a, a worse lie if right. you're taking relief from a cart pass. So um, there's a lot of things. And, you know, people still want the divot rule where, you know, you get to move it out of a divot. But, you know, it's still an outdoor sport. And, yeah. you know, you're, you, you, can get a, you can get a bad break in the fairway. You never hear anybody complain about getting a good lie in the rough. Yeah. You know, you could get a bad lie in the rough. Right. Or you could get one that sits up there nicely, you yeah. know, so – uh, hadn't heard anybody complain about that. So it's just, you know, it's an outdoor sport. And while, you know, golf courses can be in great shape, there's still going to be some imperfections out there just based off of, you know, equipment and yeah. people swinging clubs. And so it's just part of the game. 
Yeah, you know, I this is just my opinion, but I think that that the taking the drop out of it and just being a place would probably make the most sense. I, I don't know if it'll ultimately get to that, but you know, it, it's kind of like that lift, clean, and place rule. I mean, you know, you've already been penalized. You, you you've got the situation that happened with Ricky where it rolled back, where he could, if he could just place it and it's in play. Now it may happen again. I'm not saying that, but. That seems to be logically where it might go eventually, where you once you're penalized cart path, you just get a, an area of relief, club length or whatever, and just place it in there uh, and then go. I mean, it may speed up play. It's not yeah. going to – you know, guys aren't going to be frustrated. They know if they've got the penalty, they're at least going to be able to hit it from a spot where they've yeah. determined. Yeah. And you put some onus on the player at that point. Yeah, I, th- I think in the next revision, next, you know, four to eight years, something like that, it might, it might get to where – Placing, yeah. you know, we're getting closer. Yeah. You know, it's. I think it's a process, and you know, the only th- only th- thing I can see why they wouldn't is because, you know, take the example of you hit your ball right down the middle of the fairway, comes to rest in a deep divot. Okay, you got a bad lie. Yeah, guy next to you hits it and it comes to rest on a sprinkler head. Well, now he gets to place his in a good lie, where the guy who hit one. Right beside him is in a divot, yeah. and so now you kind of, you know, you take all the ran- the chance and random stuff out of it by right. placing. But uh, to me, I don't think it's a, you know, I would like to see him just go straight to place. But I think we're getting closer. Yeah, well, and, and that's a you know that's a situation that's specific to. I mean, how many times is that going to happen? I mean, I guess it could happen. So you you would have to address some of those, you know, scenarios. No. And say, what if this happens? No. You know, so if we're if we're addressing the divot situation, can you take relief like a ground and repair or something like that? No. I don't know, but then you get to place it. But whatever. <laughs> but I mean, you know, the rule. I think they've made them simpler. I think the rules of golf have gotten, you know, they were way too complicated. So it's good to see that they're moving. I'm, I'm still, I'm still old school. I mean, I don't even use a yardage thing no. when I go play. I just go out there and have fun and try to try to beat it around. And so, but I like the the simple. I don't, I don't really. Uh, know what I don't have an opinion one way or the other about the flag stick and some of the things like that, but no. like spike marks, I never understood why you couldn't just tamp them down and you know things like that. I mean, it's just some. I mean, it's 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 kind of. I'm glad they got it uh, right in a lot of areas. Yeah, and and you know, you never like kind of like superintendent. You never get the 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 good decisions. Never get any good pub. Right. It's just the ones that people have an issue with. Sure. They make all the noise. So, you know fixing damage on the green that you couldn't do in the past. I mean, you know, you, you're looking for a nice, smooth putting surface. Why not, you know, be able to help with that? You yeah. know, flag stick, if it makes a difference or not, it's not a big enough difference to, to worry about. You know, the only complaint I've heard there is, yeah, I was playing in a group and two guys wanted it in, two wanted it out. So we found we were taking it out, putting it in, taking it out, putting it in. Uh, I think you just got to find a new group to play with. Yeah. If that's the case, where you all agree to either leave difficult. it in or take it out. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I do think from a player's perspective, putting from a distance with the flag in and not having to worry about it is, is an added advantage. Yeah, it's nice to be able to see where you're going. Yeah. You know, Sometimes it's hard to see the hole. Just leave it in and see put the hole. it. Yeah. I think, I mean, for me, that I've, I've made that adjustment. I'll just leave it in if it's you know a longer putt. Just yeah. don't worry about it. But Well, and I, and I think some of the rules changes too were – they were trying to, you know, the rules are for the for all golfers. It's yeah. not just for the tour guys. And so I think they were trying to adjust the rules to what a lot of the regular Joes do anyways. Sure. I mean, if you're out there playing with your buddies, 
somebody's on the edge of the green and the others missed the green, but you you know you're a long ways away. You know they're gonna go ahead and put it with the flag stick in anyway. It's just yeah. to you know save time. You know they're gonna wait for somebody to come pull it that was you know wasn't close. So or if you knocked it up, if you chipped it up there to within a, uh, six inches, and your buddies are still waiting to hit, yeah. you know just go there and knock it in real quick and get out of the way. Sure. You know so. People were doing that already and yeah. just weren't, you know, they weren't calling a penalty on it. Yeah. And so um, so I think they did a good job of just kind of normalizing and and, and, and making it better overall. Yeah. Well, it's good to see. And thanks for covering some of that. And, and, and you know, it's, it's new for everybody. And so I think that just getting used to it and, and uh, finding some common ground and making the game fun, better, it's all, that's yeah. what it's all about. Well, I, I can tell you that now that we're in competition season, you know, um, and, and the rules have been out now for six months. Yeah. I mean, the the talk on the rules says quiet. Sure. You know, nobody's ever – nobody's talking about it anymore. Yeah. You know, sure it was a nice hot topic the first couple PGA Tour events when things were out there. But, I mean, it's kind of a – I don't want to say it's an old subject now, but, you know, we don't get phone calls on it, you yeah. know, about the new rules. We don't get people asking questions. It's yeah. kind of everybody's just – all right, here we go. Yeah, well, that's good. I mean, that yeah. makes your job a whole lot easier. Definitely. <laughs> Give me your thoughts on the U.S. Open before we wrap this up. Oh, I mean, because it's know, one of the obviously Pebbles. You yeah. know, a great site. Yeah. Um, I haven't played it yet. I've uh, I've been to the 19th hole, played a couple other courses there in the area, but uh, haven't played Pebble yet. But uh, you know, it looks like they've grown the rough in in a couple spots, and uh, you know, I just think back to the last one when DJ had a had a big lead, and I think we shot 80. On the final round, yeah, it was you know he, yeah. he had a three four shot lead and just kind of yeah struggled that last day, but um, you know it's gonna be fun to see if Kepka can keep his majors uh, streak going and and I guess not really a streak, but uh, you know stay hot in the majors. Yep. Uh, the guy just seems to show up when it's a for a big one. And Solid. Obviously, Tiger moves the needle more than everybody combined still. So sure, obviously want him to be in the mix and 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 be interested on Sunday. So yeah. Um, you know, Phil has a chance to finally win the U.S. Open. He's played good at, at Pebble in the past. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know if his game is still at that level to win it, but he's streaky, you know. So, I mean, he won there back in the spring, didn't he? I think in the uh, AT&T. Don't remember, but, I mean, he he, he can win any he's week. He's streaky, yeah. Oh, my gosh. He gets it going. So, I mean, it's a fun to watch. Uh, you know, there's – you know, the U.S. Open seems to get bad pub for some of the decisions that are made. Yeah. Um, but it's still something that we all tune into sometimes just to see the carnage. Right. Um, but, um, you know, talking to some tour guys over the past couple of years, not about the U.S. Open, but just, you know, you asking which courses they like on tour the best, it's not these ones where they shoot 27 under. You know? Right. They, they seem to like uh, Harbortown and Innisbrook and some of these that, you know, they're tougher and they make them think a little bit, yeah. make them hit different shots. So, um, you know, uh, I could see where the U.S. Open kind of fits more into that, you know, of, of hey, I really got to think my way through and, and hit some different shots versus just hit as far as I can and chip and putt. So. Yeah. You know, I, I think they, the for the better part of it, they want the best player to win that week. And so they set it up as fair. I mean, yeah, shorter hitters probably had a little bit of a disadvantage. If you spray it, you're in the rough. That's not fun. But, you know, I don't never really get too wrapped up in. It. I think I think a lot of people try to get you baited into it, especially now that Twitter's alive yeah. and well. I mean, they try to bait you into these conversations about course setup and what. I mean, just play. 
Right. I mean, big deal. I mean, it, if it's hard, it's hard, you know. Everybody's got the same I mean, core setup. Yeah, I mean, um, where I would only jump into the fray is if there was a mistake as far as uh, maintaining a green that's happened in the past where they let it go. I mean, just well. don't be silly about those decisions. <laughs> but, I mean, if they want to – I mean, if the, rough, if the fairway's five yards wide and the roughs are three inches tall, I mean, just – Deal with it. It's the same for everybody. I mean, it's the same for everybody. So, I, and I and and Pebble of all of them is going to be phenomenal. I mean, I have had the chance to play it. It was many years ago, um, but uh, it was a great place to be. Place uh, property is phenomenal, yeah. and um, it's always a fun watch. I, I'm excited because being here in Tennessee, it's going to be a little bit in the evening, prime time for us. Oh yeah. So you know we're going to be able to watch it at night and kind of chill and and hopefully on Sunday afternoon we'll get Tiger and Brooks or somebody coming up the end there has a chance to win. So that was the best thing about the Chambers Bay, yeah. That West Coast and like prime time golf, major yeah. golf. That was that yeah. is good. Forgot about that. Yeah. Well, who you like? You, you, I'm going to put you on the spot. The only time I'll put you on the spot and have to make you pick somebody. I'm, I'm a Tiger guy. Yeah. <laughs> Me too, man. <laughs> I, I, I mean, that Masters, I'm still talking about it. I did a whole podcast about it, just yeah. how, it, you know, just how the, his comeback and his resilience and resolve and all he's been through. I'd love to see him win it. I don't know if, I don't know if he can keep it straight enough. He, I mean, I, you know, I'm friends with Virgil and, and talk to him some, and he's right on, man. If he drives the ball well, there's nobody gonna beat him. Yeah. No matter even even to this day, I mean, he hits the ball with his irons and putts. And his short game is so good if he just keeps it out of the rough and he can be there. Does he just need to hit three wood? Okay. Can you just dial it back? Well, I, I, I saw him. I saw <laughs> well, a couple I mean, of I know he's done that in the British in the yeah. past. You know, I was like, didn't even hit driver all week, you know. Yeah. It's just, But, of course, that's a different kind of sure. golf over there. But Yeah. Well, I saw some videos of him this week uh, that online are just him banging irons off the tee. Now, they may be par threes, but he, I don't know. I don't know if Pebbles is long as most golf courses that they play the opens on. Yeah, I don't think it is. I don't think it is. So I think it's going to be where he can play a little bit more off iron off the tee. So yeah. we'll see. It's good for golf if he's in the mix and if he wins. I mean, yep. there's nothing nothing better for golf than having Tiger as a champion. So Yeah, no doubt. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Man, I appreciate it. I've taken up enough of your time. Um, tell everybody where they can follow you on Twitter. Uh, and this has been a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, we'll just uh, – I'm glad we'll – Hopefully we'll get to sit down again after the U.S. Open or sometime yeah. in the fall and talk a little football. But yeah. tell everybody what your social media is and um, so they can follow you on Twitter and all the other. Yeah, my, my personal one is TGA Chad, but uh, I also follow TN Golf for sure. all the TGA updates. Yeah. Uh, Darren does a great job on there, and um, he'll keep you entertained and keep you abreast of what's going on in Tennessee golf uh, on there. So uh, thanks for having me on, BJ, and look forward to doing it again one day. Man, I appreciate it. Um, thanks for uh, inviting me out, and it's been fun and a uh, lot of lot of good stuff. I hope I know that people are going to enjoy it, and I hope you had a, a good time coming on. As uh, it was fun sitting down and talking to you. Yeah, thanks, sir. All right, man. Well, for everybody, this is the end of the episode. I appreciate you listening. I sat down with uh, Chad from the TGA, and it was a great conversation. So, uh, next until next time, I'll talk to you soon. This is making the turn with BJ Parker.